0: Welcome to the Fox Sports Rugby Podcast, the first for 2018 with the Super Rugby season underway. My name is Nick McCarvel. Terrific to have your company this week. Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au, rugby rider extraordinaire, joins us. Christy, welcome to you.
1: Very good afternoon to you, Nick. Welcome.
0: Thank you very much. I'm quite pleased to be here, actually, replacing the great Sean Maloney uh, this season and uh, and Stephen Hoyle's also stepping out and uh, we will meet... Uh, one of the Stephen Hoyle's replacements in, in just a moment.
1: Look, it's a refreshing change to have you here because there was a lot of negativity towards the end of last year with Sean really? in particular shots being fired. Got controversial. Did it? Just a little bit, just right. a little bit.
0: Well, I'll try not to be too politically incorrect, which I know Shawnee can be at times. So we'll see. Uh, where's um, Where's the little bloke from New Zealand that... Follows you around. You
1: know what? He's actually sulking because for once Australia's actually had more wins than them Right. during a regular round of the Super Rugby season.
0: Right. We, we talk, of course, of uh, Sam Worthington, also from foxsports.com.au. The reason he is not here, he's waiting at home for a, wa- <laughs> for a washing machine to be delivered. Is that right?
1: Yeah, he got the word from the bosses upstairs that he just needed to um, wash a little bit more. So, mm-hmm. look, it's a great thing for, for everyone upstairs, so...
0: I think it's a a great thing to to see a kiwi concerned with personal hygiene. I think that's uh Don't say it often. That's terrific. Um now, also joining us uh for this first edition of the Fox Sports Rugby podcast for 2018, it is a very warm welcome to former wallaby, now Fox Sports commentator Brendan Cannon. Cano, How are you?
2: Oh, I Guys, I've had some highlights in my life, particularly in my playing career, but this is really right up there. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Yes.
0: How are you, mate? Are you well? Yeah, you you are back in the Fox Sports commentary mix. You were on the Waratahs game the other night, and I could tell that you absolutely loved it.
2: Well, it's fantastic to be back and, and be back so close because obviously Fox Sports takes you right inside almost the virtual voyage uh, of, of being involved in a game. But just... Yeah, great to see the Waratahs get away after the siren. Uh, show some great character. And you know, there's a lot of positives that we can talk about in this podcast, guys, about the opening round for the Australian sides in the Super Rugby. Exactly right.
1: It certainly is. Let's, let's kick things off, shall we? There was a couple of talking points across the weekend, probably none more so than the cards shown on Friday night in the Queensland Reds game, where they went down rather heavily, 45-19, to the Melbourne Rebels. Can I? what's What's your opinion, mate? Uh, Scott Higginbotham, three weeks he's been suspended and was off for 71 minutes of the game for a red card shoulder charge, effectively, on Matt Phillip.
2: Yeah, it, it, I mean, really disappointing that, obviously, in the opening round, when eyes of the world are on, uh, on the Southern Hemisphere for the Australian-New Zealand um, teams to get involved, you know, so early into that game, um, you know, a red card is issued um i i do think by the letter of the law with the zero tolerance of um, you know contacting the head a yellow card was probably going to be suffice in that situation and then put it on report and then deal with it after the game but to go straight to red and then you know not long after you got Luke Antui doing what he did to Will Genia who who interestingly enough for me uh has gone to the judiciary they haven't gone with an early plea Um, and they've gone to challenge, I suppose, the charge that he's been given. Scott Higginbotham got three weeks for something that was a little bit innocuous, bad execution, you know, tackle didn't go well. The Luke Tui thing, he could be looking at more than three weeks. Like, it looked pretty nasty.
1: Yeah, speaking to uh, the Queensland media manager, Tom Kennedy, yesterday afternoon, I think, uh, reading between the lines or listening anyway, it doesn't look good and uh, he could be out for, for some time. What do you, what do you think, Nick? Uh, is a yellow card good enough, or, or should a yellow card have been given to, to know, Higgins? That I,
0: I actually don't have the players know they've been told before the season. Uh, you know it, it, that there is a focus on protecting the head, and I have absolutely no problem with that. Um, I think both of them should have been a red card under, you know, the new regime or, or the new the new focus. But they have to have. Consistency. There has to be consistency, and that's where we. So, will... so,
2: so Nick, so Nick, you would have given two red cards in yep. that game. Reduced the Reds to thirteen yep. against the fifteen minute side. Opening round. But I
0: know, I know, there is this discussion about how it ruins the game, and and maybe we'll get to um, perhaps some options around uh, new systems for penalties, and and maybe looking at whether the red card should be revamped. But but Cano, they knew. They know. And and I, I think if an offence is committed, then, um, then they deserve a, a red card. If a red card offence is committed, then give them a red card. You can't go, oh, well, we've already given one. Uh, we shouldn't give another. Or, gee, it's early in the match. We won't give a red card now. Maybe we'll give one in the second half if the same thing happens. If it's a red card, it's a red card. And give it and move on.
2: But... I know, oh, but, but, but the thing that's going to be so frustrating across the competition is you'll see incidents take place in each game that will be benchmarked against this that will escape punishment. And so it's the consistency which, that we speak about exactly and we right plead there. for exactly. and we want to see. But I can tell you guys, we will not see consistency with this ruling. I don't think there was any malice in the Scott uh tackle. He's not that type of guy. There, there did appear to be a little bit more malice in the Luke Antui thing just because of they are so fully aware of, of getting a player above horizontal. It was a big man trying to ragdoll a little bloke and teach him that he was the big boss on the field. Outcome for that could have been far worse. But the Higginbotham thing was just poor execution. It really was. And so for poor execution, all right, you you want to give a guy a red card and change not just his season but his team's. Season in that one instant but i, I, I think that's crazy but
0: I, I there's a bit of there's a bit of old school in what you're saying and and i've heard a lot of uh ex players who work for for fox sports say similar things about oh you know you know it's, there wasn't malice in it or you didn't really mean to do it, or you know the the player who was hit matt phillip he wasn't he wasn't injured well, none of that really Comes into it. I, I don't think in in the new day and age, none of that comes into it. What matters is Scotty's shoulder, and I agree, he's not that sort of bloke at all. He's one of the most lovely blokes you'll ever meet. But what happened was his shoulder met with the head in a forceful manner of the opposition player. Therefore, it's a it's a red card. It's a it's a new age. It's a new day, and sure, it wouldn't have happened. You know, two or three years ago, it certainly wouldn't have happened 10 or 15 years ago. We've seen what you guys did to each other, absolutely brutalised each other on the ground. But it's a it's a new age, there is a worldwide focus on concussion, and that's where we're at.
1: Can I, I'm just going to jump in here, mate. I've heard what you've said, and from the sounds of things, you think that Lucan Antui tackle, spear tackle, was probably worse than the one that Higgins was, was sent off for. Is that true?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. But I do think the referee spooked himself or the the match officials spooked themselves because of the fact that they'd sent the red off and then the consequence of another red really does bring the focus onto the game. But the Lucan Tui one does look far more... um, It just doesn't look good compared to the Scotty Higginbotham one. The Higginbotham one for me was just bad timing, ill-execution, you know, uh, an attempted big tackle just gone wrong. The Lucan Tui one was sheer intent to pick a guy up and poleaxe him into the ground, head first. And I know Will Genier potentially may have accelerated the the, the, the the descent into the ground by sort of dipping his head, but that's a dangerous and frightening proposition for yeah. a young for a for a lighter guy with a big man tossing him around like it was dwarf throwing.
0: And and the only reason that Will Genier's head didn't hit the ground is because he he had the presence of mind to put his arm out and save himself. Um, So, you know, that may have been... Will Genia and that action may well have been the reason that uh, the red card wasn't awarded there and it was a yellow card. But I also think that Brendan Pickerel uh, looked at the situation of the game exactly as you said, Cano, and thought, I can't go a second red here, and I think that's wrong. I think he should have gone a second red. I know,
2: and I agree... Only with one element of what you said earlier, Nick, about the Scott Higginbotham, just, um, your your position on it all, was we should never judge something on the outcome of the incident. So if Will if Wilgenia does get seriously injured, do we then treat the incident more seriously because of the outcome has warranted us to do that? Or is it the intent and the possibility of what could have been the outcome? And I think that's how we need to consider it. We shouldn't look at it and go... He got up, he was okay, it wasn't that bad. It could have been anything mm-hmm. other than what happened to Wolverine in that instance. So I think the Luke and Tui thing, for me, I would be very nervous if I was him and the QRU. He got three weeks pleaded down because he took an early plea and they factored in his you know, unblemished playing record and all that type of stuff. Uh, and he got three weeks reduced from six. Luke Antilly, I think, is looking at more than three weeks tonight when he fronts the judiciary.
1: Definitely. Now, we could talk all all night until the cows come home about this. I suppose a couple of things just to add. Michael Alolatoa from the Crusaders the next day, swinging arms straight across Damian McKenzie, was shown a yellow card after the TMO intervened. The on-field referee, Ben O'Keefe, had said, look, he was ducking, therefore I'm going to just give him a yellow card. As the commentators explained at the situation, that shouldn't actually to uh, come into consideration. I spoke with the Sansa representative yesterday and he said that's true. Inconsistencies happened was his, uh, you know, political kind of statement. Um, it's disappointing. But we've got to also remember that these rules came into effect only at the start of last year. Um Rugby Australia only the other week has introduced a new blue card system of concussion. So, as you pointed out, Nick, it's a it's a new age, and the players have to adapt immediately. It,
0: it, it is, and at the end of the day, and and Cano, um, you've got young kids, and and I've got young kids, and and uh, you know the the battle for the hearts and minds of young kids and what sport they're going to play and what sport their parents are going to let them play. And and mums have a big say in that. Is it is it going to be AFL? Is it going to be rugby league? Is it going to be soccer? Is it going to be rugby union? Um, you know, it, it comes back to things like this, and and when they see their heroes getting taken head high and no uh, no penalty or or lesser penalties being awarded in games, that that all feeds into. The thinking and I know that you know maybe that that shouldn't be a consideration but I think in the harsh reality of the Australian sporting landscape and that and that battle for uh, kids you know trying to get them to play the game I think I think it's part of the consideration.
1: All right let's let's move it along now the the end result 45-19. Cano what impressed you about the the Rebels performance there? Clearly they were always going to have a numerical advantage on the field so that helps but uh, what did you take away from, from from any of that?
2: Oh, well, I was skeptical before the game, um, just because of the fact that they hadn't had a lot of time together. You've got two sides that have played two very different styles of football, got a whole new coaching staff, whole new coaching philosophy. And so for me, what impressed me the most was as the game went on, the better the Rebels got. So they actually grew into the game, they found their feet, they found their rhythm, and, and got confidence as the game went on. And yes, Numerically, you know, one man down for the majority of the game, two men down uh, for a period of it. But what impressed me was how the Rebels went on with it, and you know, conversely, the Reds panicked and the distress and the anxiety playing down with a man for you know for sixty-five, sixty minutes of the game. You cannot imagine how many of those young blokes would have just felt so sick at the end of that game and fatigued because of the distress that they would have been under.
0: And it was, it wasn't just any bloke either, it was the captain, and, uh, and it was the first game of the season, it was the captain of a relatively inexperienced team, so a lot of that sort of uh, level-headed thinking uh, went and sat on the bench when Scott Higginbotham was ejected from the game. Yeah, exactly, and, and, and there
2: couldn't have been any other better result for Melbourne than for it to happen the way that it did. I mean, the eyes of the Australian rugby public, particularly from the west, are on Melbourne at the moment because justifiably so that they were the ones chosen to survive out of the two that were nominated uh, to be considered to be, um, you know, discharged from the super rugby format in Australia. And so for the Australian rugby public to get behind the rebels, they need them to see them play well. And on paper, the squad in which they've put together uh, has to seriously be one of the best in Australian super rugby at the moment. And so expectations rightfully so have to be high, and those players and that coaching staff and that club have to understand that they are no longer the newcomers. They are a side that we expect to play well week in and week out, and with the quality of the calibre of players that they've got, there's no expectation for it to be anything less than that.
1: Yeah, certainly. I suppose one of the big, uh, looking through that roster, one of the big questions from a positional point of view, was who was going to play 10 coming into the season. Jack Debrosini was certainly, uh, he, he played well. There were some moments where he was running a little bit too sideways. But on the whole, outside Will genier looked like he knew what he was doing. How-
0: I, I think a lot of credit has to be given to Will Genier for that. Um, you know, we were down there and at a lot of well, most Super Rugby games, I get to sit on the the sideline and we were very close to the Melbourne bench and very close to the field. Will Genia's communication Adam Coleman is the captain of that team and, and take nothing away from him but just as important in leadership in that team is, is Will Genier. He just does not stop talking and he was essentially bossing Jack Debrasini around. So in terms of Debrasini's career, he's gonna learn more this year than he's probably learnt in the last three or four years uh, in Melbourne.
1: Yeah, people have questioned his form over the last couple of years, but I I think you've also got to look at the fact that Nick Sturzacker, who was captain previously, had had such a horrible run of injuries that Debreceny could really never have a a stable number nine who had confidence in his own game. Uh, So expect big things, I think, from him. The other thing that's interesting coming out of that, Reese Hodge, I think many people thought would take the kicking responsibilities. I spoke to Dave just the other day, Dave Vessels, and he confirmed that Jack Debrisini is kicking really well and he's going to be the, the goal kicker. Interesting considering that by the end of last year for the Wallabies, Rhys Hodge was, mm-hmm. was the, the number one uh, goal kicker with, with Bernard Foley's kicking woes. So they uh, they uh travelled to Japan this week to take on the Sunwolves. Who, uh Great game between the Highlanders and the Blues. It would be... We can't really ignore how brilliant that opening match was.
0: Both of the New Zealand games across the weekend were remarkable. The pace at which that game was played was just ridiculous and they were, they were still as flat out in the 78th, 79th, 80th minute as they were in the 2nd, 3rd and 4th minute. It was uh, it was ridiculous.
1: Probably a good thing we don't come across a New Zealand side just for a little while. Is it six
0: or seven weeks, Christy, I think?
1: Oh, who knows? Yeah, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's that far into the season. So Long season. Uh, we'll skip the Brumbies for the moment because our special guest will be joining us just in a moment. We'll jump to the Waratahs who beat the Stormers 34-27 with a after the whistle try to Ned Hannigan. Brendo, you were there. Uh, talk us through the game.
2: Oh, I thought it was a really interesting game. The the Stormers were quite confident, obviously having had that home victory in the opening round uh, of Super Rugby. So they came with a real intent to test what they perceived to be a pretty inexperienced Waratah forward pack. But it was an amazing game where neither side really took control of the game. And even though the Waratahs ended up winning, It was just that they scored last because both sides just just exchanged scoring points to either draw the game at a particular time or to take the lead, albeit for a brief period. So it was a really enjoyable game to watch. Both sides really tried hard at different times to play with some width uh, and a bit of up-tempo football. But the thing that impressed me the most about the Waratahs, and I I will admit being there on the sideline, post-game the celebrations amongst the players and the support staff was really really quite exceptional, um, and there was such jubilation because it meant so much to them. It's just the character that they showed. They really showed some great fortitude, um, some great resolve, uh, and a real composure about them this year, where in previous years we've probably seen them fade away and, and disappear in the big moments of the game. But you know, Daryl Gibson and the coaching staff blooded a lot of debutantes at the back end of that game. You know that's something that you haven't seen in Australian rugby before, because normally you, the starting fifteen tend to see out the game or stay longer in the game when it's a tighter contest. But Daryl Gibson really believed in this young group of guys that he's picked, uh, got the mind, got them involved, and the lessons they've learnt, and the camaraderie and the culture that they've experienced out of a game such as that. Very positive for the Waratahs. Really, really good to be there and see it, and you know, great for Australian rugby that the Waratahs are at the moment you know, playing a positive style of football. I think
0: you're right. I think Daryl Gibson actually admitted that uh, that was a game that they would have lost last year. So they are growing as a team. What about the forward pack, though, Cano? I mean... That's the real question, Mark, it, it, isn't it? It really is. I mean, they they, they were lucky in, in many ways. Having said that, of course, they did um, win a, a scrum against the feed late in the game and they turned over <laughs> a, a couple of line-outs. But, but really, um, yeah. for much of the night, and, and if that's a... If that's a marker for what we're going to get for the rest of the season, uh, they've they've got a lot of work to do.
2: Well, they do. And, And the challenge for them is everyone watches that. And so every week they're going to be up against it. They're going to get targeted. The fatigue, the physical toll that it takes week in, week out, you know, just getting targeted more and more because each side sees that as an opportunity against you um you know you're going to learn a lot a lot about yourself you know that tight five's really going to have to work hard they're very fortunate they've got simon cron in as their technical coach he'll know how to manage it he'll know how to make it work but from time to time they are going to get exposed um but great for australian rugby that those young guys are getting those lessons so publicly in some ways, but also for that side, for them to do well, they've just got to be competitive. And I think Saturday night, they showed some fragility and showed some weakness, but at the end of the day, they won the game. So they hung in there and hung in well enough to give their side an, enough quality ball that they could do something with it.
1: Cano, the the Tars this weekend, the, the Sharks and then Argentina, what can you realistically do as a forward pack, as a front row to, to make those changes so that your, your forward pack does stand up or doesn't stand up in the scrum anyway but um, <laughs> we know what you mean <laughs> because we've seen for a little while the guys like tom robinson good young players but come scrum time they're probably not cutting the mustard just yet
2: yeah i mean they're not a massive forward pack the waratahs seeing them against the south africans on saturday night the stormers physically you know we just are a shade below them in in stature and size but the challenge for the Waratahs in any forward pack that's under a bit of pressure come scrum time is you've got to work harder to work together. And the more pressure you get under, the more you tend to try and work individually. And that has a negative effect on the way in which the scrum can be effective. So they've just got to work collaboratively and collectively to try and ensure that at every time they're at scrum, their ball's clean, it's a good strike by Fitzpatrick, the hooker, um, And a way they can go with it. But it's just hard. Do they go to South Africa? Durban, the Sharks at home, you know, they're a great side. It's a great venue to play at. Um, they have great success at home. You know, does the euphoria and the emotion and the high of last weekend in Sydney and then flying to South Africa this week, does that negate any momentum the Waratahs have, have created? Time will tell. But yeah, that forward pack, just keep an eye on them because I think there's some real workers there. Um, But there's a lot of lessons that are going to continue to be exposed each week. Good
0: insight, Cano. Thank you very much. And uh, we will see you on Kick and Chase Wednesday night.
2: Can't wait, guys. And thank you for one of the highlights, really, for 2018 (laughs) being involved.
0: Okay. You should probably get out a little more. Brendan Cannon, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Ciao. Uh, It's always good to catch up with Brendan Cannon now. Joining us, one of Cano's former teammates at the Waratahs, Peter Hewitt. Thanks for joining us on the podcast.
3: No worries, guys. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Now, hey. just um,
0: before we get into it, what's the sure. Peter Hewitt story from the time you left the TARS to now? You, you've been around the world.
3: Yeah, so I obviously left the TARS in 2007. <clears throat> um, I went to went to London Irish in London for three years. Um, and then, yeah, really enjoyed my time over there and then, and then moved uh, to Tokyo. So I've been there... Uh, for the last eight years, previous to now, um, three as a three as a player retired over there and uh, went straight into coaching. So, been coaching over there for the last five years. Um, retired with a full head of hair and now haven't got much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you, you almost could have just stayed there, considering your first game uh, with the Brumbies as an assistant coach was in Japan, in Tokyo.
3: What's that? Sorry, you
1: could have almost just stayed there, considering your first game with the Brumbies. As an assistant coach, yeah, was, was mate. Yeah, Asia. we um,
3: it was obviously it was great getting back there. Um, we, we actually trained out at Santori, and you know they were they were great in terms of working, working um, the group and and sort of uh, showing us around Tokyo and and making sure the boys uh, were fed well and then, and given great, um, you know, uh, guidance around around Tokyo. So it was good getting back there, and yeah, it was good to get the win.
1: We've heard a lot about well, with the, the Japan Sunwolves coming into to the competition about rugby in Japan. Obviously, they've got a good Japanese top league going on. The World Cup, though, seemed to, to really bring Japanese rugby onto the, the world kind of uh, scale, I suppose. In 2015, there was, what, some 20 million watching a couple of their games. Can you just talk about the the rise of rugby in Japan, just briefly?
3: Yeah, um Mate, look after the last World Cup, you know, the success that Japan had, obviously it started by beating uh beating South Africa, it just, you know, grew another leg. You know, guys that were definitely not uh, recognised were were pretty much overnight heroes in, in, in the country and um, look it just changed the whole face of rugby like, over there. Um, you know, we before the World Cup we'd rock up to like, rock up to games and you know, guys were sort of asked for the odd signature. Um but but made after the World Cup, they were, they were rock stars and it just, you know, it just generated the, you know, the excitement around the game. And, and then obviously with the, as you say, with the, um, um, the World Cup being there in 2019, it's, you know, there's a real, there's a lot of potential over there. It's now up to, I suppose, the powers to be to keep, you know, keep that, um, roll on and, and make sure they keep growing the game up there.
0: So let's take you back to the weekend and uh the Brumbies first game for the season on the road in Tokyo against the Sun Wolves yep. and gee, for the first forty, did you <laughs> did you have your heart in your mouth there for a while because the Sun Wolves came out with plenty and, and you guys looked a bit rusty.
3: Yeah, we definitely uh mate, we we definitely were a little bit rusty. Look, we uh obviously had a little bit of knowledge of, of the of the players of there, not having a lot of knowledge of what they were going to run, you know, they obviously got the same uh, coaches and, and the same setup as the, the national team and, mate, we were under, uh, you know, we definitely didn't um, underestimate the ability within their team and then the style of rugby they were going to play. Um, you know, they got into our face and we, we expected that we probably just pushed the pass a little bit too much and, and, uh, tried to play probably a little bit too much rugby when we, when we didn't need to. And yeah, we sort of, you know, turned over possession, didn't react overly well and caught the transition. Areas and yeah, as you say, mate, they were um, <clears throat> they were on the front foot there for a while. But yeah, full credit to our guys, we uh, we sort of regrouped um, and, and stuck, got back to what we sort of planned for for the week, and and uh, managed to come away with the, the win.
1: You, you spoke about maybe pushing the, the pass a little bit early on, and, and that was one of the contributing factors. Uh, yeah. Or off season, we've heard about the fact that the Brumbies are trying to reinvent themselves to an extent. We've seen in the past the, the set piece, the more score so many tries and be so um, so effective. How hard is it though to, to to try to reinvent yourselves and 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 try to play more expansive counter attacking rugby?
3: Yeah, mate. That's and that's that's the uh, the teething issues we are going through. Obviously, you know, as you know, we've been known for our. For, our structured play and our set piece play and we definitely don't want to lose that, um, faster players strength. But, um, yeah, look, we've been challenging the guys to, you know, to express themselves and show their skill. But, um, there's going to be situations and, and definitely, you know, first game of the year against, um, you know, uh, a line speed defence. We sort of had to probably grit our teeth a little bit more. You know, it's the old thing, go forward before you can go lateral. So. Um, yeah, we, we, there's a good balance there and, um, we're definitely, uh, working through that. But, um, yeah, we're giving definitely, uh, more license to the players to express themselves when they, uh, when they're put into certain situation. And then it's just us putting themselves, you know, in those situations of training so they can, um, problem solve on the run. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing improvement, but, um, we've still got a lot more to, to, to go there.
0: Peter, some really good uh, stories around the Brumbies at the moment, obviously with Christian Leliofano uh, coming back to, to full fitness and um, being one of the co-captains. You've got Poe to come back in a few weeks. Yeah. Um, I thought Kyle Godwin uh, looked back to his old self, maybe got some more confidence back in the body, back in the knee, and, and he was um, he was a bit of a ball player on the weekend. He had you know full speed back as well. Uh, but, but what about Rob Valentini? We got a glimpse, I think, until he got injured, uh, with that, with that MCL, we've got a glimpse of what what he might provide, what he could be for the Brumbies. How excited are you about Rob?
3: Oh, mate, yeah, very excited. Um, you yeah, know, obviously got him nice Nasrani on the edges when um, we want, obviously, want to play a bit. It's exciting times. But Rob, uh, you know, he played really well. Um, he had a good um, a good year with the Vikings, and then you know, took that into a first trial into Rebels. Um, against the Chiefs, probably got a little bit overawed in terms of, you know, who he was out there playing with and against. Um, we sort of brought him off and he went back on for a 20-minute period and, mate, he was he was amazing and he sort of saw a glimpse of that again um, I mean, his first game for the, against the Sunwolves. But, um, mate, look, the kid's got an enormous amount of potential and if that's sort of pushed in the right direction, mate, he could be anything. Um, um, you know, it could be, you know, blessing in disguise in terms of him, you know, getting a little bit of time off now. He's played a lot of footy. Um, just sort of you know getting refreshed and then ready to go again at the back end. So, uh, look, he's a really good kid, mate. Willing to learn. Um, yeah, and he's got a lot of improvement to do. In the um, yeah, only, only young kid.
1: Yeah, uh, I know Nick. You you briefly touched about about Kyle Godwin and and he was exceptional, I thought, on Saturday. I wonder how much benefit they had last year. He and and Joe Power. The fact that matter, Christian Laleofano wasn't wasn't really there, he was in the background certainly, but having him now come in, you expect that those guys will be so much better for having had that tough year, uh being inexperienced to, to now coming through it. Uh I think we'll see we'll see some big things from, from them. Peter, th- this weekend you've got the Reds and I, I dare say a hurting Reds side. Friday night, Brisbane, what what can you expect from them?
3: Oh mate, we can definitely, you know, expect a, uh, a very fired up red team. Look, we're not reading too much into the the game last week. You know, they'll put under pressure obviously with, with the red card and then the yellow card. So, you know, they'll, they'll, um, playing a little bit behind the eight ball there. So we're not, you know, overly reading too much into that. Um, so we know it's going to be a tough, a tough physical game up there and we're preparing for that. So, uh, you know, we're really looking forward to getting up there and then just seeing where we're at in, um, in, in regards to them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think the um, the wonder, or what everyone's wondering, is if they might back off that physicality a little bit. They might have been, you know, a bit spooked by going a little bit over the edge, but then they're, they're vowing not to do that. That's the way they want to play the game. You would expect them to, to come out firing once again.
3: Yeah, well, you would imagine so, mate. Obviously, first time game of the year, and, um, yeah, I imagine Thorny will um, you know, have them coming out pretty pumped up, so... You know, it's just our, you know, our focus this week has been on, uh, you know, improving the, uh, the areas in game that we need to improve from last week, and then being a little bit more accurate and clinical, and then um, obviously matching them physically. So, um, it's going to be a real, a real test for us, and one we're looking forward to.
1: Pete, I know you got to go in a moment. Just one final one. We've spoken earlier about uh, the, the cards that were shown in the Queensland red side. Do, do you guys address? Like I know that you're not going to talk really about those situations and that's the Sansa sort of thing. But do you guys talk about the fact that now, with the tweaks in the laws beginning last year, that we're really we can't get to the shoulder. We can't be tackling that high.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, we we do, mate. We, um, I mean, we don't spend a lot of time on it, but obviously, um, when we're you know when we're doing our contact drills and whatnot, we're pretty we're pretty uh, you know harsh on where we want guys to tackle, I and mean, you know, anything's sort of um, yeah, getting like that, we sort of you know tend to rear it in. But we, we do speak about it, mate. But um, Pete Ryan's pretty uh, pretty pretty uh, experienced in that t- in, on that side of things, mate, and he keeps the guys you know um, pretty level headed there and obviously the same with knocking the ball down you know you can't really knock the ball down these days as well so um you know we're pretty pretty uh harsh on that uh, training mate so yeah and again look it's it's what's brought in you know everyone's aware of it so we're just got to uh you know coach it like that and then and make sure it doesn't happen but you know, as you say things happen in a game mate uh you know it's pretty hard to control moving bodies the whole time so um, to contact sports so things are um you're going to get, you know, obviously first round as well in terms of timing and whatnot, you know, you're not going to always get it perfect. So um, it's just, I suppose, limiting those um, circumstances when they happen.
0: Hey, Pete, great to be able to spend some time with you. Great to have you back in, in the country and involved in uh, Australian rugby once again and, and go well in Brizzy.
3: No worries, guys. Thanks. I mean, I'm really and really enjoying my time back uh, back in Australia.
0: Yeah, good to see Peter Hewitt back in Australian rugby. Great to have uh, some of that talent coming back and and uh, applying their trade in the coaching ranks here in Australia. Uh, Christy, just uh, just before we finish up, what's the one thing the the one thing that most impressed you last weekend about uh, Australian teams?
1: I'm going to give you I'm going to give you two. I know you said one, <laughs> but from a, a player <laughs> perspective, Issy Noacerani. This yep. bloke is going to be. And I think he is exceptional. Uh, and from a, a team perspective, I just think that the Waratahs and how they held themselves together, the composure, the work from the, the debutant prop on the on the right hand side to shovel it across to to Ned Hannigan to score—outstanding result. And New South Wales needed it.
0: All right, and uh, I'm going to head to Melbourne for mine. And um, I mean, it's an it's an easy go to. But uh, Will Genia, um, we've touched on him. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And uh, and that team needs its leaders to stand up consistently throughout the season it was a really good start from Will Genia. All right, let's uh, have a look just quickly before we leave you at the uh, the games this weekend beginning at Eden Park on uh, Friday evening the Blues at home to the Chiefs.
1: Another New Zealand derby. How how exciting. I think the Blues can probably get this one. First New Zealand derby win they will have in, in a couple of years, I think. so.
0: Yep. No, it's been a long time since they've beaten the Chiefs, that's for sure. Then we uh, head to Suncorp Stadium for the Reds and the Brumbies. I would like to say the Reds. I just think they're up against it at the moment. They need the win. Uh, Rugby in Queensland really needs this win as well because it's been a struggle for the last couple of years, but I think the Brumbies uh, will get it done at Suncorp Stadium. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And then uh, the early game on... There's no actual Australian game in terms of uh, on Australian soil on Saturday. So we've got uh, the Sunwolves hosting the Rebels and that's at uh, 3.15pm Eastern Daylight Savings Time. You'll see that on Fox Sports. So the Sunwolves or the Rebels...
1: Ah, the Rebels building on the momentum of round one.
0: Tend to agree. And then uh, we will head across at 5.35pm Eastern to AMI Stadium in Christchurch. The Crusaders hosting the Stormers. So the Stormers, that's the second match of their road trip after being in Sydney last week. Hard to see them getting over the Crusaders, particularly at home. What was that, uh, I think it's once in the last 16 or 17 matches that the Crusaders have lost at home that was to the hurricane so that's uh, a very very difficult assignment heading to christchurch and then uh, in the early hours of sunday morning the sharks and the waratahs
1: yeah well the the waratahs will be the same old story as as last weekend if they can at least match them in the type five you expect the the international star started back line to be able to work their magic so the Tars Ooh, will a, that's struggle, a, I that's think. A,
0: that's, a big, that's a big if, if they can match them in the Type 5. We will have to wait and see about that. And then uh, the Bulls and the Lions. So uh, the Lions just uh, heading up the road to Pretoria to Loftus taking on the Bulls, and the Bulls, they're impressive in beating the Hurricanes on the weekend, so that is going to be one hell of a game. It's hard to tip in the last couple of years against the Lions.
1: That's so. the reason why Sam Worthington's not here. He's a Hurricanes fan and a, he was disgusted by sulking. their round before. He is
0: sulking. Well, doesn't get any easier in terms of uh, road trips. It's hard to play at Loftus. It's hard to play in Buenos Aires as well. That's where the Hurricanes are this weekend uh, playing the Jags, the
1: Haguarez. Well, we'll see what goes on. Nick? Oh. <laughs> Is that your tip? We'll see what goes on. You yes. never know what's going to happen with yes. Argentina. No. They'll lose a card. and They'll yeah. be, be shown a red card. That's All my right. hot tip.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. And uh, next week, we'll attempt to prize him off the fence, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us for the first edition of the Fox Sports Rugby, Rugby Podcast for 2018. Bye for now.